Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. So in this segment, I am here with Sean Witt, the Audience Development Director at Oklahoma Watch, who uh, making a rare visit here to the podcast this week. Uh, Sean, say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. Uh, Sean has been with Oklahoma Watch since March of this year, but came to us with an extensive background in, in media and promotions and uh, helping develop audiences. Sean, tell us a little about uh, how you came to be at Oklahoma Watch and what you did before that. Well, uh, born and raised uh, native Oklahoman. Um, I finished high school up at uh, Edmond High School when there was only one. Uh, moved to Chicago, uh, spent 16 years there, cut my teeth uh, at uh, ESPN Radio there in Chicago as a uh, promotions director, um, and then became the marketing director, um, and then an executive producer. I subsequently came back to Oklahoma about 2006, uh, and I got a job at the Journal Record doing audience development, kind of continuing to exercise my marketing muscle. Um, and then that's where I met this weird guy named Ted, who uh, who uh, <laughs> who I, b- I formed a friendship with, and. Uh, uh, this opportunity presented itself, and so uh, I leapt at the chance. Now, when you were uh, at the Journal Record, that's uh, owned by a, a large company. It's a chain of papers. You you worked for more than just the Journal Record yeah. in that role, right? Yeah, I had uh, close to my – by the time I left, I had close to 13 newspapers across the country in, in, in the East Coast, West Coast, and uh, Upper Northwest uh, part of the country. And then then we managed to entice you to come to little old Oklahoma Watch. Yeah, you know, being able to, the the excitement uh, to come to work at an organization like Oklahoma Watch, you can feel the energy, um, you know, from from the staff and from, from everybody involved with the organization. And it's only really one place to worry about, Oklahoma, which is great because hyper-focus on Oklahoma is, uh, is, is, really, is really exciting to me. So uh, in your role as audience uh, development director, right, you wear a a couple of different hats. There's some fundraising involved, try to grow the readership and the Mm -hmm. Uh, the impact that Oklahoma Watch can can have and improving the place we all live. Uh, tell us about some of your goals. Well, uh, obviously, and to, to increase the the newsletter subscriptions, um, you know that's our that's our key driver into getting folks uh, introduced to what Oklahoma Watch is. And it's obviously it's it's uh, it's it's important to everybody. We the the great thing about Oklahoma Watch is being a non for profit news organization. We're not really adhered to you know what a particular Particular news story angle might interfere with a certain advertiser. We're we're here for Oklahoma. We're here for you, the reader. Um, and so some of those goals are just to get the name Oklahoma Watch out, get people involved. Um, so I want to build that audience, and then hopefully people uh, understand that importance and become donors. Because obviously, people donating to Oklahoma Watch is what keeps us alive and keeps us going, and keeps us benefiting you, the reader, as in, as opposed to the advertiser, so to speak. So let's let's talk about uh, that for a minute because uh, we're. 
We're well into October now, and uh, yeah. we're getting into uh, a key season yeah, it for is. Oklahoma it Watch. The, it's the so. Super Bowl for Oklahoma Watch. <laughs> right, and uh, uh, you don't have the Cubs to worry about anymore until hey, uh, spring. Easy, so. easy. Uh, but uh, uh, let's talk about that for a minute. We were, we were chatting just uh, before we started the podcast, and— uh, I think the message today is please don't send us any money. Yeah, please, please hold off on, on all of your generosity. Quell that until about November 1st. Uh, we have we are entering the Newsmatch uh, season starting November 1st. Uh, Newsmatch is a is a is an organization that that will match donations um, up to a thousand dollars per donor. Um, and then so if say for instance you donate five hundred dollars, Newsmatch will will match that same five hundred dollars starting November first. Um, and so there's there's um they're they're gonna match up to about fifteen thousand uh, dollars throughout the season. Like I said, it begins November first, runs through the end of December. Um, and we're gonna be there's generally some special incentives that that come along for new donors. So um, you know, we're we're gonna try to entice some 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 new folks that are that are just joining the Oklahoma Watch family to to maybe make a contribution that they haven't uh, done so far. Yeah, in past years, uh, even the Google uh, folks, Google News Initiative came along at the last minute and threw in some incentives, uh, uh, offered uh, several thousand dollars if uh, you came up with 100 brand new donors, Mm -hmm. for example, regardless of the size of the contribution. So, you know, a a hundred people kicking in a dollar each got us an extra three thousand dollars. Yeah, you, you know? can't you can't beat you can't beat things like that. And the and, and the great part about it is is um, you know the Oklahoma watches newsletters and our and our website all our all our content is free. Uh, even if you choose not to donate, we, we encourage you to do that because that's what keeps it free for us. Um, you know, just just in, subscribe to the newsletter, get to know us. Um, you know, you might find a couple of things of interest in the, in the past because we go we go way back in our archives too. So um, pretty much the content is pretty relevant throughout the the, the year, so to speak. So uh, the nonprofit news model uh, is a, a relatively new thing. Oklahoma Watch was an early adopter. It's been around uh, for about 12 years now. There are uh, just a couple of organizations around the country older than ours uh, using the the nonprofit model to deliver news. And uh, as you know, Oklahoma Watch has a unique uh, relationship with other media around the state that we make our content available to all of them to mm-hmm. Distribute as well. Try to have uh, the widest audience and greatest uh, impact possible. All that done at no charge. But we do need the individual contributions and the engagement of our readers to keep us afloat. Right? Yep. Yes. Yes, we do. It it is important. Uh, help us keep the lights on. Uh, I've got two kids that that are in band. I need saxophone lessons. Those saxophone lessons uh, are, are, are frequent. So Well, and, and that's a good point. With a, I mean, Sean's being uh, glib, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the uh, it's a good point that really for a nonprofit news organization, far and away, our largest cost is, is staff salaries. Staff salaries. Uh, personnel costs are mm-hmm. the 
the the big nut that we have to crack every year. Other yeah. than that, we have some relatively minor administrative expenses for office space and utilities and that, that sort of thing. But uh, far and away, uh, journalists cost money. Yeah, and, that's uh, that's what makes that's what makes the non for profit model so great is because of your contributions, we're able to do these investigatives, these deep dives into stories um, that that are pertinent to you that we might not have the time or another organization wouldn't have the time to because they're constantly having to churn out content story after story after story, you know, on a daily basis. Our reporters actually get to, to spend some time and and make sure that the stories are are pertinent to you, the Oklahoman and the reader. Oh, it, the model, how would you compare it to say public radio or public television? Um I think it's kind of similar. Man, you really caught me off guard with that one. <laughs> um yeah, you know, we're we're this is kind of, I guess, a kind of our telethon season, so to speak. So when you would see like OTA uh, coming coming at you with their, you know, their Steve Irwin travels, or you know, this is kind of what our this is kind of our our telethon season, so to speak, um, with that. All right, and uh, as you mentioned, it kicks off November first. So first, uh, if that money's burning a hole in your pocket, you're just dying to donate to us. We're actually. Better off if you hang on to it for a couple weeks. Just a couple Make that weeks. donation after November 1st because then we have matching money in play, which is a huge, uh, huge help to us. If somebody does uh, feel inclined to support Oklahoma Watch, Sean, how do they do it? Uh, just visit us at oklahomawatch.org forward slash donate. All right. Simple enough. And they can do that on a credit card, a one-time donation, or set up a recurring donation any way they'd like to do it, right? Yep, that's right. That's right. Uh, those, If you set up a monthly recurring donation, what Newsmatch will do is take your, say you donate $5. Uh, what they'll do is they'll take that $5, multiply it by 12, and match that 60 for the year. Yeah, they'll match the the pledge for the whole year, yes. not just the one-month contribution. The one month. So, exactly. Very generous program. You can Help us reach those goals, just oklahomawatch.org forward slash donate. Hey, Sean, thanks for stopping by uh, this morning. Appreciate the information and glad to let everybody get a chance to know you. Thanks, Ted. Go Cubs. In this segment, I'm talking to Keaton Ross, who covers democracy for Oklahoma Watch. In his latest story, he wrote about the ongoing efforts of county election officials to recruit poll workers for the November 8th general election. Keaton, you contacted several county election boards uh, for this story. How are they feeling about staffing heading into election day? It really varies between counties. Uh, a few I contacted said they're doing just fine, that there's a lot of interest and participation. Um, several more, the sentiment was kind of we're we're okay, but it tends to to get down to the wire as people, their plans change, they decide not to to do it. So you kind of have to figure out, okay, are we going to have backups if people call in sick, uh, that sort of thing. Now, statewide, how many precinct officials are needed? So there's about 2,000 precincts statewide. Each one, state law requires at least three poll workers at each of these precincts. So you do the math, that's about 6,000. But once you factor in at some larger precincts to make things run smoothly, you'll often have a fourth worker checking provisional ballots to kind of help keep the line moving, that sort of thing. And you also need backups in case someone gets sick or another thing comes up. So 
really, it, once you factor in all those numbers, you're looking at about the need is probably around 10,000 or so. Wow. Now, is there a deadline that uh, counties have to meet to have all those positions filled? Nothing in state law. Uh, a common a thing I heard a couple of times was we would we would love to have the luxury of having that deadline, but oftentimes just the circumstances, the craziness of the season, um, you'll you'll see the efforts continue leading up to the election. So no no deadline like in state law um, for for getting poll workers on. Well, now uh, concerns about. A shortage of poll workers in Oklahoma are not new. What's different this election? Yeah, those those concerns have been ongoing just because most poll workers are elderly uh, folks that are retired. I think what's changed in in the past couple of years is just kind of the political environment, a lot of misinformation about the way elections are conducted, uh, a greater number of threats towards election officials based on false claims of, of widespread fraud in the in the 2020 election. So that's leading some folks, many of them older, to to opt out of working in in this upcoming election. Well, what uh, you, you know, what kind of situations uh, do the poll workers run into? Something I heard a lot uh, as kind of a situation that can get tense or maybe escalate. Of course, that's not the hope is that you, know, you can kind of bring the temperature down. Um, something I heard that happens a fair amount is someone will come in wearing clothing for a political candidate or talking about a race, that sort of thing, which is considered electioneering under state law. It's it's a misdemeanor, um, not allowed. And you know, you might have a poll worker say like, "You need to cover that up," or "Please don't talk about that," and that that might that might raise tensions. Um, so that's a common thing I heard reporting this story. Now, how are poll workers trained to deal uh, with somebody who doesn't react well if they get disruptive or combative? Uh, what do the poll workers do? So the I, th- I think the idea there is that you know you're not you're not trying to escalate a situation, uh, getting get into a back and forth. Um, something I heard um, this was talking with the the election board secretary in Rogers County. She mentioned that you know if they have a situation like this, she'll give out her cell phone number to every precinct, and if someone has a complaint or they're they're going back and forth with the the workers there, you know she says, "Hand out my phone number. They can call me. Um, I'll deal with it." And she said a lot of times it's just you know a situation of people wanting someone higher up to kind of listen to their complaints, and and she'll explain that you know we're just following state law. This isn't something that we make the rules on. So that's, that's kind of been a strategy there. That's, that's been helpful kind of bringing the the temperature down and helping those, those precinct officials get, get back to moving through the line, getting their, their work done. Oh, this kind of harassment concerns aside, uh, precinct officials work a very long day for very modest pay. Now, based on conversations you had working on the story, what, what motivates them to continue uh, to show up on election days? Yeah, like you mentioned, very long day. The The official hours are 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., but you also have to factor in the time it takes to set up and uh, get ready to leave for the day. So often you're talking about uh, up to a 14-hour day for these folks on election day, and uh, pay is $100 for uh, 
the judge and the clerk who help hand out the ballots, check IDs, and then $110 for the officials. So uh, not not very high pay at all. And uh, I think a few conversations I've had, the most of the time the motivator is just that civic pride service, knowing that you're, you're doing something important to help uh, democracy keep on going forward. So not a thing, you know, you're doing for a big paycheck, but it's just kind of a, a service and, you know, also interesting to see uh, how Election Days plays out and, and be a part of that process. It really is kind of a, a frontline role in keeping keeping democracy moving, right? I mean, we couldn't couldn't do it without uh, people there to, to run the precincts. Uh, if somebody's interested in becoming a poll worker, how do they go about it? So you'll you'll want to call or email your your local county election board. We there's actually a, a table I included in my latest story on OklahomaWatch.org where you can find that information or you can uh, just maybe search on the election board website and you'll find that as well. Um, you'll want to contact them. It really um, it's really a county by county thing. Um, so there's no they they may really be needing your help. They may not need it. Um, there's also a stipulation in state law where you need it at every precinct requires at least one member of the largest political party and one member of the second largest political party. So there's some balancing there as far as they may they may need Democrats or they may need Republicans. So that that's also a factor. But uh, the advice is to just check in with your with your county election board. All right. Well, thanks, Keaton. Uh, you can read Keaton's story about the need for poll workers and some of the issues that uh, come up for them on Election Day and all of Keaton's other investigative work on the democracy beat by visiting our website, oklahomawatch.org. While you're there, you can also subscribe to Keaton's weekly newsletter, Democracy Watch. Whitney Bryan is with us for this segment of Long Story Short. She's been uh, covering Oklahoma's nursing homes since the beginning of the pandemic. Vaccines and less severe variants have diminished COVID-19's lethal toll on the state's 300 nursing homes. But now another challenge threatens the care of aging Oklahomans. Whitney, tell us about this new threat and how widespread it is. Well, Ted, nursing homes across the country are facing an extreme worker shortage. It's actually become so bad that the federal agency that oversees nursing homes has started tracking it along with their COVID-19 data. So according to the most recent reports, nearly a third of nursing homes in Oklahoma are unable to hire the staff they need to to care for residents. So nurses and nursing aides, they're in the highest demand right now, but but facilities are really feeling the crunch in every area. So we're talking about cafeteria workers and cooks, uh, bus drivers, housekeepers, front desk workers. It's really affecting all areas of care. Well, what's causing that shortage? Well, there are a lot of factors at play, but low pay and high stress of the job, those are the main things that I'm hearing are driving workers out of the industry and then keeping new folks from coming in. So nursing homes are largely supported by public money through Medicaid reimbursements. But those reimbursements don't cover the full cost of care, according to nursing home administrators and experts here in Oklahoma, which means nursing homes are on the hook for that gap, that remaining cost. 
Now, before COVID-19, nursing homes were paying an entry-level certified nursing assistant somewhere in the range of about $11 an hour. Facilities became so desperate during COVID-19 that that jumped up to more like $15 an hour now. But in some cases, these workers can make more money at Costco or Target. And the stress level is obviously much lower in those situations. Well, if uh, pay went up for some of those jobs during the pandemic, uh, wouldn't we expect that to have at least helped uh, the shortage of workers? Well, first of all, this isn't a new problem. This problem has has been going on for years and years, long before COVID. Uh, workers were putting their own health at risk and the risk Uh, risking the health of their families during COVID. And so that amplified um, the issues and the stress that came along with these low-paying jobs. Um, So with COVID, of course, it spreads faster in these large group settings. So if one worker became sick during COVID, usually others did as well, which then meant the workers who were not sick uh, were working, you know, far more hours, much more work to be done to make up for folks who were out. Um, And of course, people were out for weeks at a time, not just a couple of days, you know, like they might be with a cold, for instance. And then the anxiety associated for these workers of potentially bringing Bringing COVID into a nursing home is incredible as well. I mean, these residents who live in these homes are extremely vulnerable for COVID. You know, a lot of people died in these homes from the virus, and these workers had to witness that firsthand. And do we know how many residents and employees uh, Oklahoma nursing homes lost to the pandemic? As of last month, at least 2,500 nursing home residents have died from COVID-19 since the beginning of the pandemic, and an additional 65 workers have also died from COVID. So what kind of effects are we seeing from the worker shortage? Well, a shortage shortage of workers has trickle-down effect that reaches far beyond staffing levels. So there are federal mandates for how many staff per resident that these homes have to have. So not to mention those requirements they have to meet for cleaning, nutrition, and other things that all require the work of, you know, human staff. Without the proper staffing, many nursing homes, they have to cut down on the number of residents they can take in. So there are a lot of empty beds around the state right now now that can't be filled until more workers come on board. And there's a growing demand for those beds as the state's aging population continues to increase. So it's really only going to get worse. In some cases, staffing became such a problem that some nursing homes have actually had to shut down. The last I've heard, at least five nursing homes have closed so far this year, and another two are completely empty but haven't officially closed yet. So what does that mean for families who maybe have uh, loved ones in those facilities or or might be looking to move uh, an aging parent into a nursing home soon? How are they affected? Well, in some cases, it means families might have to move their loved one to a nursing home further away from where they live. So that means it could be harder to visit or check up on them. And this is especially hard in rural areas. So one of the nursing homes that closed last fall was Servant Living Center in Medford. It was the only nursing home in town when it closed, and the nearest alternatives were more than 30 miles away. And then if those beds were full, you're talking about even further of a drive for them 
Um, so you're, you're, you know, a lot of people are either having to move to be closer to their loved ones or even, you know, quit jobs, take time off to actually take care of their loved ones at home. It's a really big hardship on families. So is there any anything that can be done? Is uh, any steps being taken to address the problem? Well, nursing homes have received some COVID relief money uh, through federal and state programs throughout the pandemic. Some of that money went to training for new workers in the industry, and that's continuing now. Um, And the biggest help has been additional Medicaid funding. So there was a a temporary funding approved for nursing homes that filled that gap that I was talking about earlier in the reimbursements. But as I said, that's temporary. So nursing homes were able to increase their pay, hire some additional staff using that money. But the supplement is currently set to expire in March, and nursing home administrators are warning that that could lead to a a lot more closures and a really serious public health crisis. All right. Well, thanks, Whitney. You can uh, check out Whitney's story about the uh, troubles with staffing at nursing homes around the state, especially in the wake of COVID-19. You'll find that on our website at oklahomawatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening.